Dear listeners, Sairam, welcome to our program, Tryst with Divinity, a series of conversations where devotees of Bhagwan Sri Satya Sai Baba trace their journey to Swami and share their stories of responding to the call of the Lord. Today, we are delighted to bring you part two of an interview with Mr. Michael Galligan. Born in Chicago, USA in the year 1975, Michael's childhood was marked by unusual, mystical and spiritual experiences. By the time he was 18, Michael spent some time living alone in a cave in the mountains of Arizona. That's where he met a Hopi Indian medicine woman who introduced him to Bhagwan Sri Satya Sai Baba. What unfolded thereafter was life transforming. Currently, Michael and his wife Elily are committed to the Children's Project Trust, a charity that is rescuing children in South India. Children who are victims of deprivation, abuse, neglect and poverty. Today, we bring you the second part of the conversation which was recorded at our studios on February 16, 2012. In case you have missed part one of this conversation, where our guest shared his unusual spiritual journey, you can download and listen to it at your leisure by visiting the link radiosci.org slash tryst that is T-R-Y-S-T tryst So, over now to Mr. Galligan in conversation with Radio Sai's Karuna Munshi. Michael, all these experiences are just... Um very unusual, obviously, to say the least. Who exactly were your role models when you were growing up? What books, what conversations have influenced your thinking the most? Apart from your parents, obviously, who were wonderful role models. Well, I would say that nature influenced my thinking the most. That was something which I could learn from all the time. Meaning that I could easily hear and see the harmonies in nature beyond words, beyond thoughts beyond speech. I found that most speech was just talk. You know, in the United States, if you see a news broadcast or you see a politician or you see anything, uh, always people are struggling for one point of view or another point of view. Very rarely are people struggling for an integrated point of view that includes all people in a beautiful fashion, heart, mind, and, and, and soul. But nature already had that harmony and has that harmony. So that's where I used to go to spend my time and that's what influenced me. If I would take out the garbage, I would be gone for three hours or so. And my mother used to tell me this uh, also um, because we had the forest not too far from mm-hmm. our house. So I would put the garbage out behind the house and go down the alleyway and end up in the forest and lay there in the leaves or walk around for hours and just watch and listen and whistle with the birds and the birds would whistle and I would imitate their whistling and we would have a conversation and I didn't always know what the whistling actually meant but it was a beautiful experience anyways. Mm -hmm. So Michael, let's fast forward to the year 1998. You were 23 years old and out of the goodness of your heart, your wife Alili and you sponsored the education of some needy children at a local school near Puttaparthi. But the intended outcome did not come through. What happened? Well, it actually started in that, uh, in my first trip to Puttaparthi, Uh, when I was 23 years old, I started volunteer teaching at some of the schools, uh, 
outside of Puttaparthi. And I found that there was one teacher for 100 students and that sometimes the teacher wouldn't come if harvest was going on or something like that. So it was very difficult uh, for the students to get any type of education that could impact their lives. So that deepened my dedication to serving the children uh, as I could when I was here in India. I stayed for about two or three months at that time, uh, going to Darshan, having Swami's Darshan, having beautiful experiences with Swami during Darshan, and then going out and teaching in, in all my spare time. So I felt, here are these wonderful children, beautiful children, so bright, uh, but they're not getting the nurturing environment that they need to really be able to develop their intellect, to develop their sense of uh, who they are and what they can do. So my heart was very much dedicated to helping them in one way or another. Mm -hmm. Exactly how that was, I didn't know. But I would pray to Swami at that time that my life and my heart could be poured out in the service of love and that every moment could be spent in service, in sharing, and that taking Him as a role model, uh, how Swami, every single moment of his existence is nothing but uh, love and, and sharing and, and natural upliftment. Of course, that's what we as devotees want to do too. So it started from there. And then in 1999, came back again, taught again at the local schools, and saw that the same situation was there. You know, and the one teacher who was running the school was a beautiful man, good man. Uh, but just with one person alone uh, and a hundred students, it's very hard to do an effective job. These were government schools outside on the outskirts of Puttaparthi? I think that these were non-government private okay. schools on the outskirts of Puttaparthi yeah. somewhere, yes. No, they weren't the Satya Sai uh, Institute schools at all. Again, many beautiful experiences with Swami, uh, many uh, interactions with Swami, beautiful blessings of Swami uh, in many directions, in many ways. And it actually was always my wish. After coming to India the first time, I felt, I really want to live here. I want to live with Swami. And uh, this is the most beautiful thing that I could do with my life. But I felt that I was born in the United States so that my dharma uh, lie within the United States. I should stay there until Swami, if Swami were to ever give me a sign or signal that uh, I should come to India and stay here. So I carried on in the United States. And then in uh, 2000, I had a dream with Swami. At that time, I was working at a pretty well-paid job, taking care of uh, convalescing pa patients uh, in a medical sense and in taking care of um, terminally ill patients, etc. But it was a lot of work. I would end up working, you know, uh, 14 hours a day, 16 hours a day, 18 hours a day, uh, and sometimes three, four days in a row. And I used it all as a sadhana to make sure that I never got impatient I didn't feel uh, aggravation, all those kinds of things, because those situations can definitely bring about those mm -hmm. feelings. And um, after a while, I had a dream. Swami came in the dream and Swami said, you can quit your job now. And I said, well, Swami, what will I do about money? And he said, money? What are you worried about money for? I'm taking care of everything. And uh, so I said, okay. And I kept my job for a little while more. And then shortly thereafter, I had another dream. And Swami, in the dream, came to Aleli and myself. And he grabbed me by the belt. And he grabbed Aleli by the shoulder. And he said, you belong to me. You are mine. You come and live with me now. And he picked us up and he pulled us uh, to the ashram here in Puttaparthi like this. And I said, okay, good. Now finally the wish is fulfilled, you know. So we packed up everything and came here. Shortly after coming here, we started sponsoring more children uh, at the 
the schools on the outskirts of town, the children who didn't really have parents, children who were coming from very destitute situation and circumstance. Uh, and I must add that before actually leaving for India, a month or two beforehand, I had a dream with Swami. Swami and I were standing in what looked like to be the outskirts of uh, Puttaparthi, somewhere in Andhra Pradesh. And there were just dusty fields with dry, rocky mountains around. And there was a large group of children in torn clothes with dirty faces. And they were kicking a football that was deflated. It was a broken football. Mm -hmm. And their pants were torn and everything was ragged. And Swami and I were just looking at each other and looking at the children. And Swami looked at me and he asked me, what do you think? And I said, okay, Swami. And that was basically the end of the dream. But I knew that Swami was asking me, will you look after these children? And I said, okay, Swami, yes. And so then I said to Alali, I said, uh, if when we go to India, Swami wants us to start a school, will you do it? And she said, I'll do whatever Swami wants us to do. So I said, okay, good. I don't know that that will happen for sure, but that was a very interesting dream, and I feel that that's what will happen. So we started sponsoring more children. Actually, one of our friends had been sponsoring a number of children in different schools, and she was going home for good, it appeared. And she asked us if we could look after those children. So, of course, we did, and then we sponsored more children. By sponsoring, you mean you uh, financially aided their education yes, in those we did. schools? Yes, we did. We paid for them to be in the schools mm -hmm. and, and so on. Receive an education. Yes. So we were financially uh, assisting uh, a number of children in some of the outlying schools uh, here. And the situations were not really satisfactory for us and for the students. We found that a lot of the students were very, very unhappy. Uh, we found that there were various levels of neglect and, if I can say, abuse also going on. This, of course, was very shocking to us, and uh, one night, probably around 9.30 or 10 o'clock at night, five students that we were sponsoring showed up at our door. They had welts uh, up and down their legs and backs from being beaten for what seemed like a very trivial thing that, that didn't deserve or require that kind of treatment at all, and they were scared. They were very frightened uh, to go back uh, to school, and they also had nowhere else to go. And so my wife and I both said, don't worry, come inside, and we'll figure out something for you. And that was really the physical birth of the project. Uh, just born out of a need, born out of a moment, in putting Swami's uh, teachings into practice, help ever hurt never. Mm -hmm. How can you send them off? You can't. Mm -hmm. So in that moment, uh, the project was actually born. I see. And uh, today when you look back, you and Alilia are playing parent to 34 young children at this moment as we speak. Now most people are commitment phobic when it comes to their personal lives or even making a decision about parenting one child or maybe two. Here you are with 34 children. Do you ever wonder what am I doing with this responsibility? Because this is a lifelong commitment and these are 34 precious lives. Well, that again goes straight back to Swami. Do we ever wonder what are we doing being committed to Swami? Do we ever ask ourselves, what am I doing? Maybe some people do in the beginning, in the very beginning. But after that, no. You follow Swami. You love Swami. And wherever that takes you, you don't worry about that. You just do your best to always love Swami, to understand Swami, to gain the lessons that He wants you to understand, to follow the path of life in the way that He wants you to live, to live by His love, to live as His love, to spread His love, and to be His love. 
what can make a devotee happier than to feel Swami's presence always flowing in their heart, flowing in their being, and, and knowing the presence of Swami all the time. So in the same way, committing ourselves to these children is just committing ourselves to Swami, to doing what Swami wants us to do. We always feel that this work, this life, this project, only exists because Swami wants it to, which Swami has confirmed in physical ways, in, in, uh, in you know having personal talk with Swami and the blessings of Swami and instructions of Swami also for how to do certain things and what to do. So the responsibility for these children... From ages 5 to 18, I understand. Yeah, sometimes they come when they're 2 years old, uh, and, and sometimes they come when they're 10 or 11. Uh, it's whoever has the greatest need, whoever really has nowhere else to turn, nowhere else to go. We just take them in. We take them in. So you educate them, you feed them, you nurture them, you look after them. It's a homeschool. Yes, absolutely. And we are there for them at every step of the way. Every child needs a great amount of love and a great amount of guidance. And so allowing ourselves to be accessible to the children, allowing ourselves to be trusted by the children, showing the children that we don't judge them, that we love them, is of extreme importance. Putting into practice Swami's principles on educare, of growing ourselves every day, of developing ourselves every day in the light of love, and sharing that experience with the children, is what creates, I would say, the magic that exists within this project, that exists within this home, because there's a great buoyancy, I would say. Oh, uh, definitely, for sure. There. I've seen the children, and it's very interesting to hear them speak, because they have an American twang in their accent, and uh, the children from the local villages, but they speak so sweetly, and they're very bright-eyed, and they chant Vedas with the same pro proficiency with which they operate the computers, and they communicate with visitors. There's a free-flowing love in their personality, which is very hard to miss even for a visitor. Uh, Michael, but you know, just setting up and running a school for like three dozen children, volunteers, staff, this is enormous logistics that we're talking of. And it has to be quite a challenge to get things done in a place where you don't speak the local language, you don't quite understand, at least initially, how things work here. And your journey with the children's project has not been without ups and downs. Mm -hmm. Certainly. There have been many instances of disappointment, of being let down, promises not kept. How do you keep your faith strong and still believe in the goodness of humanity and still believe this is all Swami's expression of Swami's will? Well, that's exactly it. It's faith. Faith is something which is actually very alive and it's very far-reaching. It's not just a mental concept that is easy to believe in God a little bit during good times. Faith is best used during the difficult times. And Swami has reinforced that faith in such beautiful ways that it would take many more interviews to talk about the subtleties in the way that Swami reinforces that faith. It, it's, it's beautiful and beyond imagination, actually. Any one instance comes to mind? A brief one? First of all, there's inner faith that's born purely in your spiritual heart and in your spiritual mind. Swami shows you that things will work in all sorts of different ways. And you have to trust His timing, and you have to trust His way, and you have to trust His purpose and His intent. You have to know that you don't know the best course of action always, but that God always knows the best course of action. And you have to trust that if God has you doing this, God will see through the situation.
We've had so many what you would call disappointments. And, you know, endless disappointments. As Swami says, pleasure is an interval between two pains. Mm. But did you ever have a moment when you thought, this is just not working and I'm wasting my life and time here? No. Never? Never. Mm -hmm. Never. I mean, I always feel that the problem is actually the solution. If you're building a home, it's hard to pick up the brick off the ground and lift it up and put it in the wall. That's the difficulty. That's the problem. But when you just do it, then the home comes up and the walls are built. So the problems are the stepping stones to the erection of the system that, in this case, we believe Swami wants. A system of educare, a system of love, a system of understanding, and a system of educational uh, excellence combined mm -hmm. together. Let's talk about the emotional toll. You give so much of yourself to the children who have been severely abused or neglected or exploited. Now, most of them come from abject misery and they need physical, mental, emotional and spiritual healing, which you and Alili and the entire team provides. It must exact a toll on you. How do you keep your heart whole and not end up being cynical or jaded in your attitude? Well, it's about really knowing the center of our reality and putting that practice of Swami into a living experience. Swami's basic teachings are help ever hurt never, love all, serve all. How can we do that? We can do that by having faith that Swami is there. In those dark moments when things don't go right, when a child may misbehave, when adults in the world or people in positions of power may lie to you or try to harm you or try to dominate you. You have to keep those two basic principles at the forefront of your thought and your feeling. You may feel fear, you may feel anger, you may feel aggravation, whatever it may be, but everything ultimately resolves itself in the presence of Swami. So, if you can continue to refresh yourself in the center of love which is within you, and you can gain a little control. And how do you refresh yourself? By going to that center. And, that, and now, over time, it becomes very, very, very easy. In the beginning, it might be difficult. You feel stressed. The mind feels pulled upon by the events that are happening around you. The heart feels less than love in some moments, mm -hmm. you know. But how do you return to your true nature? Mm -hmm. You have to ask yourself, is this my true nature? Is this the best that I have to offer? Is this moment of dissatisfaction the true expression of Swami? I see. Now then the question becomes, if there is a little bit of us in everyone else, this exercise to nurture and help each child to heal and find his or herself, is it a traumatizing experience? Is it therapeutic? None of the above? Both? It's an absolutely beautiful experience. Swami gives a lot of emphasis to the teachers in the Educare program. Very he, true. He always speaks about the nobility of teaching yes. and that it's the noblest profession on earth really and the noblest thing that we can do is to teach I look at Swami Swami is the greatest teacher ever absolutely without a doubt and Swami has we can't even begin to speak about what Swami's done it's fantastic and it will just bring tears to your eyes if you see the scope of what Swami has taught through thought, word, and deed, and spiritual capacity. and It's overwhelming. And a lesson to one 
is a lesson to all. So, the experience of being there for the children, in helping them with physical trauma, mental trauma, emotional trauma, in bringing light into their life every day, every moment, is an experience of looking to Swami every second. And as Swami says, if you look to me, I look to you. And that means that if you look to Swami for help, that help is there. If you look to Swami for His presence, that presence is there. And if you look to Swami for love, that love is there. So you learn to let Swami do the healing. You learn to let Swami do the teaching. You learn to let Swami do the uplifting. And you find out that Swami is you. So by loving and serving and sacrificing what we think we are, and deferring to Swami, whatever our chosen form of God is, God is, then we find that the presence of God comes into our life. As an ego, we might be afraid that we'll cease to exist if only God is there or something. We, we, we have some confusion about that. But the fact is that when Swami's presence comes into your life, everything about you is enriched. Everything about you is transformed. And it's like doing the laundry. When you're helping the children, you're getting a good washing yourself. You can't allow impatience to be there. You can't allow one second of impatience to exist between you and a child. If you become impatient with a child, then that child will feel that maybe they're not very worthy, or maybe they're, they're not very deserving of a full life. That one moment of impatience when they love you and they look up to you. What about discipline? There are times when a child does require discipline. Absolutely. Absolutely. And who does the disciplining? Again, Swami. So meaning, how do you set boundaries? How do you enforce the right behavior? And what is the right behavior? It varies from child to child, but in the system there's an overall sense of right behavior that has to be there so that the family can function together, so that everything can function together. And this is one large family. Yes. And <laughs> as you could see when you were there, the children were quite well disciplined and oh, could, could follow well. Because we actually, we discipline with love. Mm -hmm. There are times when we must be quite stern, and there are times when we must give that lesson. Whatever disciplinary action is taken, it's always accompanied with love. Mm -hmm. We might not show an outer love at the time, but just afterwards we'll show a lot of love and we'll explain why. And always before any disciplinary action is taken, a lot of time is spent in explanation as to why things have to go in a certain way and why this is the best for yourself as a human being, why you'll grow the best with this and why it'll be best for everyone else also in the school and in the home. Okay, so what is the greatest lesson you have learned from this adventure into social reform in India, coming all the way from U.S.? I'm sure there are many lessons, but which is the greatest? Again, it's the power of love. As the book says, it changes everything. Yes, it's the power of love. It's the power of Swami's love. Swami's love is the universal love. There is no difference. So whether we know Swami by name and form or not, Swami's love is real. Love is real. And that, as Swami says, start the day with love, spend the day with love, end the day with love. This is the way to God. And of course, fill the day with love. Fill also. the day with yes. love, yes. Yes. So, as Swami said many times, there's only one language, the language of the heart. A quick story. In first building the school in Kurg, I was alone after a period of time. 
on the side of a mountain, monsoon rain starting to pour down. Uh, I don't know Kannada, which is the language in Karnataka, and most of the people there don't know English. How could we ever build buildings in the middle of a monsoon, speaking two different languages? Mm-hmm. Only by continuing to apply Swami's love and continuing to treat everyone with love. I mean, there were times I sat on the side of the hill and said, Swami, what are we doing here? This is incredible, you know. But by continuing to put that love into practice with all the workers and with everybody, uh, I would show them pictures of the children. I would say, these children are coming to live here, and this is why we need to build these buildings. So that would enthuse them, and then they would work for that purpose, and mm. it was beautiful. So things are going really well at the Children's Project, I see. What's next for the mission? Where is this thing going? You're build- coming up with new buildings in Kurg. You have plans to relocate, I understand? Yes. Beautiful buildings are coming up there, inspiring buildings, buildings that we hope will reflect the ancient wisdom of India along with a, a, a modern uh, approach as well and reflect the glory and love of Swami and the importance of treating children with love and respect and nurturing them and, and helping them to discover their inner nature and their inner character and uh, a functional model of educare brightening the lives of all those who, who it, it touches. Uh, that That is happening now. Uh, about two years ago, I brought the plans for the school to Swami, along with uh, the website uh, design and everything. And uh, Swami came, and for four days, he looked it over in Darshan every day, and he'd look at the pictures of the children, and it was very nice and very beautiful. On the third day, he blessed everything, and he said, uh, you know, I'm very happy. Uh, and then he said, but I want a hundred schools. And, uh, he's, and the way that it was said and everything was very... Uh, Emphatic. Uh, very emphatic, very strong. And I, and it hit me. I knew, okay, I didn't think this in the beginning, but I knew, okay, it can be done. But how? <laughs> you know, it was, it's so, so much of a struggle just to get to where you are getting to. But I guess the first one is the hardest. The fir- After yes, that, you get easier. True, true, true. 99 true. more to go only. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so... That's the plans for the future, is that a model of love, a model of educare, continue to grow and continue to spread. In nature's lap. Yes, in nature's lap. And let's see where else Swami wants to take it from here. Sounds wonderful. Michael, appreciate your coming over. We wish the Children's Trust Project the very best for the future. Thank you for your time. Om Sri Sai Ram. Thank you very much. Sai Ram, you just heard the concluding part of this two-part conversation with Mr. Michael Galligan. In case you have missed part one of this interview, you can download and listen to it at your leisure by visiting the link radiosai.org slash trist that is T-R-Y-S-T, trist. Meanwhile, we look forward to your feedback to this interview with Michael Galligan. Please email us to listener at radiosai.org. Thank you for tuning in to Radio Sai Global Harmony. Coming to you from Prashanti Nilayam, Sai Ram from the Radio Sai team. <laughs>